Back a number of years ago, I was at a conference, and a conference was being held at a Bible college. And in the evening before the service was to begin, I was sitting outside on a bench, and one of the students from the school came along and sat down on a bench close to me, not on the same one, but close to me. And so I didn't really pay much attention, but I, I began to realize she was in great turmoil. And so I, I braved myself up and I said, is there anything wrong? And she started to half cry and half in fear, said, I have to do a thesis on the book of Hebrews and I can't for the life of me understand what in the world it's talking about. And she said, it's doing, I think it was three days, and she was terrified because it obviously could mean a big difference in her school year as far as her marks are concerned. I said, what is the problem? She said, I just don't understand. They're talking about the Sabbath, but I don't, it doesn't make sense. And I said, you're looking at the wrong Sabbath. It is not the Sabbath of the Jewish people, Friday night from sundown to Saturday night sundown. That's not what it's talking about. I said, what it's talking about is coming into a place where we can cease from our labors and rest before the Lord, but not necessarily on one day of the week, although I personally believe that's important for all of us to have at least one day where we kick back and relax and do something totally different. You see, in Genesis 2, chapter 2, it says though that the, on the seventh day, God ceased from his creation. Now, the word ceased is used in some translations. The word rested in others. It basically means the same thing, but the word Sabbath actually comes from the, from the, the word to cease. And so God ceased from his labors. But in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about Israel in the wilderness, and he said to them, I have a rest for you that... Um, allows you to cease from all your worries and anxieties and from what's going on with what I'm doing, all that stuff that, that torments us sometimes. God says, I want you to cease from that. He said, I want to give you a Sabbath rest. And so in the book of Hebrews, the writer talks a lot about this Sabbath rest. And so you have to clear your mind. It's not that particular day we're talking about. It's about life in general and serving the Lord. And just to recap, I want you to understand this when I'm all finished, that you will understand that in order for us to be relaxed and enjoy the Christian life, we need to know what God is doing in our lives, what he wants us to do, what he's requiring of us. And that means getting a relationship going with him where we hear his voice and listen to him. And so I'm going to look, first of all, at the children of Israel in the wilderness when things weren't going well for them. As a matter of fact, I want to entitle it, what, what do we do to miss this rest that the Lord is talking about, this place of being able to do his will but being able to relax in it? 
Hebrews 3, verse 11 and 12. A lot of what I'm teaching from tonight will be from the book of Hebrews, so it'll be wise for you sometime to take chapters 3 and 4 at least and read through them after, I'm, after you've listened to this and just to get a better view, because I can't cover every verse. We don't have the time. But chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, I declared on oath in my anger. That's interesting because they didn't enter into rest. God actually became angry with them. Why would that be? Listen, the one who formed you in the womb and gave you birth and breathed his life into you, he did that so he could be a, a, a friend to us, have a fellowship with us, enjoy us like he apparently enjoyed Moses, no, pardon me, Adam and Eve. Always got those two guys mixed up. Adam and Eve in the garden, and he wanted to fellowship with them. We know that sin disrupted that. Jesus died in the crossroads. That relationship is now available to us again, but it doesn't always come easy. Not because God is hard to find, but because the world presses on us all the time. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to make more money, you haven't got time for the Word of God, you haven't got time for prayer. That's why it's hard to discipline ourselves to do it. But listen to what the Lord said. I declare, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See it to it, brothers. Now, the writer of the Hebrews is saying to the Jews of his time, see it to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And also in Isaiah 57, Isaiah touches on the same thing, verses 20 and 21. Listen, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. They cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You see now, you might say, well, I'm not going to listen anymore to this teaching because that guy there, he just told me I'm a wicked person. And the answer to, that I give to you is not me that told you you're a wicked person. It's the Word of God. Take it up with the Lord someday and say, Lord, am I a wicked person? And I would, and in the context of what we're talking about, it's very possible he would say, because you don't come into my presence and wait for my directions, you are doing it on your own. And anything that's of the flesh is sin. Paul talks about that later in the New Testament. And so we need to get a hold of the fact that God is offended. He is hurt. He wants to know what the world's going on because he created us. He made us to, to walk, walk with him and work with him. See, it talks about Jesus working in the vineyard and we're to work with him. It's possible to work in the vineyard, but not where he is. That's not what he wants. He wants us to work where he's working in the vineyard in my life, or he is in your life, is probably somewhere else different. You see, Eve wouldn't work in the vineyard where God was. She decided to do something on her own. The tree was the knowledge of good and evil. She chose the good. What's wrong with that? 
because that's not where God was working. He was working somewhere else, and he wanted to spend time with her, and she should have said, Lord, where are you working in the vineyard today? Because I want to work alongside of you. That's why he calls us wicked, and I have had my share of wicked days when I'm working on my own, doing my own thing, not really interested in listening to God. I just wanted to look spiritual, and hopefully I would do what he wanted me to do. It was kind of a roulette thing, and I was gambling on it. God didn't find it amusing. And he's, I've been checked many times by the Lord for striking out my own, doing my own thing, not waiting for God's direction. Why is it that we get into that situation? Well, Isaiah 28, verse 12, it helps us understand. To whom he said, this is the, re this is the resting place. Let the weary rest, and this is the place of repose. This is the resting place. And then he says, but they, but they would not listen. That was my problem. I didn't take the time to listen. In the early years of our ministry, we went ahead, we did things, uh, we prayed about one important thing, and I remember the lady that wanted it really bad, she said, yes, the Lord just said, it gives you the desires of our hearts. So we went and did it. Three years later, the Lord said, I never told you to do that. After much frustration, much turmoil, I didn't tell you to do that, and I had to repent of it. And I learned, Lord God, that we have to wait on him, and Lord, we repent, Lord God, of those who are listening, those, those who want to change your ways, Lord, I ask you, Lord, listen to their hearts of repentance when this teaching is finished. Another reason why we're in a place of not being in a Sabbath rest is because we don't know the ways of the Lord. Now, Psalm 95, verses 10 to 11, it's, he says, For 40 years I was angry with this generation, I said. They are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my way. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So not knowing God's way means I am out there, as Isaiah said earlier in this teaching, the, the, the wicked are like a tossing sea. Listen, the waves cast up mire and dirt. I've been through the mire and dirt. I'm tired of it. And I seek the Lord. I ask you, Lord, in my life, for the rest of my life, to always be sure that I'm doing the work that you're doing where you are in the vineyard. I'm just not interested in any more dirt and mire. So... What's he saying in Psalm 103? It helps us to understand. You see, Moses knew the ways of the Lord. It says in that psalm, Moses knew the way of the Lord. The people knew his deeds. But here's the problem. If you know the deeds of the Lord, you look behind you and your life behind you and say, yeah, God did that and God got me out of that and he answered prayer there for me, that's good. But I don't believe he's going to look after now or the future. Whereas Moses knew the way of the Lord. Moses looked back and says, yes, God did all that. 
and yes he's doing it today and he will do the same thing in the future he knew the way of the Lord the people only knew what he'd done in the past and we need to get to know God to know the Lord Jesus and begin to say to ourselves, he is just as faithful tomorrow as he was yesterday. He just, he'll do tomorrow what he did yesterday. And I can depend on him in spite of the situation, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what people say, in spite of whether it's cloudy, sunny, or raining, God will come through. That's what Moses, when he was at the sea and the, and the Egyptian army was closing in on them, he knew the way of the Lord because he said to the people, stand firm, just stand there and watch what God will do. He knew and the sea opened up and they went through. Another reason why we miss resting with the Lord is because we make the wrong decisions. And again, the children of Israel give us a prime example at least 10 times, if not more, where God made the promise. He made the promise that I will bring you out of Egypt, which he now had done. He said, I'll bring you through the wilderness. That means you'll have enough to eat and drink. Your clothes will never wear out. Your shoes will never wear out. You'll always protect it from the heat of the day and the cold of night. And God did all those things. And yet he tested them. And the reason why he was testing them is to see if they actually believed him. Oh, boy. When God makes you a promise, don't be surprised if he tests you to see if you believe him. Because if you only know of his deeds in the past, you're probably looking, oh, God can't help me now. I'm reminded of a pastor I heard many years ago tell, he was talking about something like this, and he said with his family and the church he was pastoring in, he couldn't really afford a dependable car. But one Sunday, the pa there was a man in his church owned a dealership, car dealership, and he said to the pastor, he said, you come around on Monday. I want to give you a car for a year, and when the year is up, you come back in and give me that car back, and I'll give you another one, and I'll supply a new car every year for you. And the guy was so excited, the pastor said, I was so excited. I went and got the car on Monday. On my way home, the enemy said, yes, but you'll never have enough money to put gas in that's exactly the way the enemy works. But this man was able to say, Satan, I know my God will get me through this. And he f beat him up and turned, turned the enemy away because he said, I know God. He knew the way of the Lord, not just the deeds. When we don't listen, we make the wrong decisions and then we don't listen it says in Prom, where are we here? Hebrews 3, 7 to 9, and I'll also read verse 15. So the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. Verse 15 as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Whenever we know what God wants, we know what he's promised, we know that there's a, deep, there's a statement 
whether it's through the Word of God or whether it's prophetically or whatever, and we're sure it was him. You see, we need to take a hold of that. I like to call it a pillar of faith. Take a hold of that thing and not let go of it. You know, so it says of, of Joshua and Caleb, Caleb especially, when all the other ten spies are saying, no, uh, we, can't, we can't take this land. They're too big. There's giants, the cities, walls go as high as the heavens. Caleb said, and Joshua said, too, we can do it. I love what Caleb said. According to my convictions, we can do this. In other words, he said, according to what God said, not according to what we saw as we toured the land, but according to what God said, we can do it. You see, he's a man that would have entered into the rest of the Lord along with Joshua because they knew what God would do, and they rested in it. But the ones that wouldn't listen to what God said, they chose, please underline that word chose, they chose to harden their hearts. And you see, as we do things like that, we start to misinterpret life in general. We start to misinterpret what God wants to do. We start to assume that what we see and feel and what's happening around us, the circumstances, we look at that as our answer as to what God will do or will not do. God says, I want you to, he said, and Paul said, we live by faith, not by sight, and yet sight constantly betrays us. And so when I'm looking to the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, about this project we're looking at, about this, this avenue of ministry that, that we're looking at, whether it be your whole ministry, whether it be you or your, you and your wife or your family, Lord, would you in some way start to confirm whether we're heading the right way or not? Because if you don't listen to God, just launch out. There's a danger of a hardened heart where the next time you don't hear from the Lord so easily because your heart is hardened. It's interesting. Our hearts become hard because of those choices. Let me talk about Pharaoh for a moment. When the children of Israel, Moses was doing the miracles to get them out of Egypt and the plagues that were brought on them, the first number of times, it's, it said Pharaoh hardened his heart. Why? He was making a decision not to let them go, not to listen to what Moses was saying, because Moses used to say, thus saith the Lord our God, let these people go. He hardened his heart, he wouldn't listen. But in the last few miracles, those devastating things that happened to the Egyptian people, it mentions says the Lord hardened his heart. In other words, I got every time he said no to the Lord, his heart became harder and harder and harder because finally the Lord was adding to it. And if you would like to know whether that's happening in our day and age or not, why don't you go and read Romans chapter 1 starting at verse 18 to the end of that chapter. Why don't you read those? And you will see our nation and maybe your nation, if you're not in, in Canada, another nation, that we are moving fast. And God keeps handing us over to something worse because we refuse to repent and turn around. We won't listen to God. So he hardens our heart and he gives us something worse. 
and we will be destroyed. The Bible's clear on that. We will be destroyed. The Bible says, any nation that turns against me and disobeys me, I will utterly destroy that nation. I've been in some of those nations that are very restored. And it is possible the people in my Canada someday will be roaming the streets, nowhere to live, eating out of garbage cans, stealing, robbing, trying to just get enough to survive. It is possible because we, have, we are being hardened day after day by our, our blatant decision to defy the Lord and his calling. But as an individual, you and I don't have to go there. We are people that can repent of, of saying no, repent of not seeking his will, repent of anything that's grieved him as far as our ministry, our life is concerned, even, even just for the direction of your family to seek the Lord. Lord, should I leave this job and look for another one? Questions like that, waiting on God. A deceitful heart does not want to listen to God. A deceitful heart says, oh, I know better. I have brains. I can figure things out. I'll do it myself. I'm a manager of my life, and I'll look after myself. I like to say to people that come to us for help, you've managed your life up so far. How have you been doing? Are you satisfied with the results? Why don't we let God manage our lives? He's the one that knows about us, the past, the present, the future. He knows he has a better idea for my future than I have. You see, my life might go and not be too bad, but he's got something better for me. Trouble is we've never experienced that better, so we don't know what we're missing. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, above everything else, even above the enemy himself. Our heart is more deceitful because we won't listen to God. Therefore, we're handed over to deception and hardness. It's, de it's deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. Your heart is beyond remedy. That's why we have to put to death Everything within us that has wanted to serve ourselves and do it our way, that's what water baptism is. When I put to death all that stuff and say, Lord, I want to totally rely on you. I'm sick and tired of relying on my judgment and my way. I'm going to go into that water. The old Howard is buried, and a new Howard will come up out of the water who will serve and obey the Lord. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. He says, Jeremiah says, you can't understand. You just can't understand what's going on until you come to Jesus and cry out to him and say, Lord, I have messed up my life enough. I am at a place where I need you, and I need to repent of my past and seek you in your favor. So how do we restore the Sabbath rest? Hebrews 12, verse 25, say to thee, you do not refuse him or speaks. In other words, the writer of the Hebrew people say, look it, you guys, if you're not resting in the Lord, knowing his will, knowing the pleasure of his company, if you're not there, you need to say, I'm going to stop refusing him. I'm going to start inviting him into my life. I'm going to repent of my stubbornness and my, uh, my pride that says I know better. 
and start to seek the Lord and talk to him. So our repentance, we have to repent of disobedience. We have to repent of hard-heartedness. We have to repent of our stubbornness. All those things have kept us in a distance from God where he is wounded. He wanted to walk with us, and we said no. He wanted to fellowship, and we said no. He wanted to guide us, we said no. Oh, it's all because my pride said, I can do it myself. To the one who watched over me in the womb, to the one who gave me life, to the one who caused the food my mother ate to cause me to start growing in that womb, and to the one who provided all the food made from the dirt of the earth, every bit of food comes eventually or initially from the earth. He provided all that for me, and he saw me as I grew up. He formed my heart, my liver, my bones, my muscle, my skin, the blood. He formed everything out of the dust of the earth. He poured himself into me. Then he died on the cross to make sure that anything that I had done that would grieve him could be forgiven. But to say, after all he had done for me, I shook my face in his face and my fist in his face and said, I'll do it my way. No wonder he's hurt. No wonder he gets angry. He's wounded, said at the time of Noah, he looked out upon the sin of mankind and he was wounded. He had great pain in his heart because of the rejection. Jesus stood over Jerusalem and looked out over Jerusalem where he formed the miracles and healed people and rose people from the dead and they still rejected him. And they said he stood there and wept. He was so wounded. I need to say, Lord, I am sorry. I have hurt you. I've, I've wounded you by rejecting you, by doing things my own way. Yes, Lord, I went to church Sunday morning. I sang the right songs. I listened to the preacher. I even read the Bible once in a while through the week. And, and I used to pray that the Lord would bless our food at mealtime. So, Lord, what's the problem? The Lord said, no, no, I wanted you to walk with me every moment of the day. And I want you to, to know what I had planned for you that day and what I have planned for you this coming week. I want you to know that, but only if you fellowship with me and walk with me will you ever understand my direction and where I am in the vineyard. Acts 3, verse 19. Repent then, Paul no, Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Oh, I love that term, times of refreshing. I could go back, I could list times for you when my life needed refreshing because I was so busy trying to make the ministry a success, trying to help people, trying to do all those things. And there were times that I began to wear, well, it's not working, Howard, because you're in the wrong section of the vineyard. You're not with me. And, all, and I begin to deal with that garbage, repentance. I'm not perfect at it yet, but I'm working at it.
The second thing we have to do to get back in to that place of um, the Sabbath rest is to deal with the heart. And in Hebrews 4.12, it tells us there that the Word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, we're talking about the double-edged sword is the Word of God. And the Word of God is what many Christians really don't take serious enough about as, as far as they're, they're, what they're doing on a daily basis is concerned. But it's very common for God often to lead us by giving us a scripture or something when we're seeking Him and waiting on Him to um, speak to us. And so it's important that we realize that the Word of God is so sharp that it comes into our lives and the Lord wants the Word of God to separate out those things that we think are good and that will help people but separate them from those things that would be God calling us what to do. And so I know a ministry that has a slogan. It says a need is not necessarily a call. And that ministry has been very focused on what God has called it to do and has blessed it greatly. And so that's what I want my life and hopefully you want your life, that we are effective because we've separated what it, we see as a good thing, but we've divided it and we found out what God wants us to do, which is, of course, a good thing because it benefits his kingdom. And so our thoughts our attitudes, all that stuff has to be challenged by the Word of God. That might be the written Word. It might be from listening to the Lord and hearing His voice. It's the Word of God that we want here. And so we need to make a decision. I encourage you to. I've had to do this. Sometimes I have to renew it because I, I get carried away and do things that I think are good. And, and after I get in I say, oh man, I didn't seek the Lord on this. I just launched into it. And you see, I have to repent and say, Lord, forgive me, Lord God. I want to go back and start again with you. What do you want, Lord God? You know, some of the things that we think are so good you know, we just had a situation right here with, with the television station. We had a situation where something seemed to fit so perfectly. It looked as though God had planned everything, just dovetailed together. We took it to prayer. We said, Lord, I want to make sure it's you. And the Lord very clearly said to at least three or four people, the time is not yet. It isn't ready yet and so on. So we've laid it aside. In spite of how good it looked, we laid it aside. I'm hoping that someday he'll bring it back to life into our ministry. But I can't, I'm not going to be the one that says he doesn't. You are the one, Lord God, who says we will do it and we rely on that. Another thing the Lord wants us to do in order to, res to, to restore the Sabbath in our life, this is from Hebrews 11, and it's about the heroes of old, and there's a list in there of who's who almost, of the men of the fathers and the mothers of faith, and it lists them off one after the other, you see. 
And it says in Hebrews now, when it's referring to all these guys, it said, if they had been thinking of the country they left, that's the past, they would have opportunity to return. You know, when Abraham ran into some of his difficulties, why didn't he say, I'm going back to the Chaldees, things aren't working out here, but no, he didn't do that. Instead, it says in verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So my work as a Christian is to say, Lord, thank you for the past. I know what you did back there, but you see, those things aren't the good things I'm looking for anymore. You call me out. We've come forward for them. Now, Lord, I'm looking forward to the future. I don't want my plans for the future. I don't want my good ideas. I don't want my imaginations and speculations with 2 Corinthians 10 says to tear down. I want what you have for me in the future, Lord God. And so I'm depending on you. And guess what? God would say, you won't be ashamed of me when I lead you into that. And I have a place prepared for you. It's already out there. I just, I'm just glad I asked you, Lord, where it is. Because that's where we're heading. Something better. You might say, well, I have a ministry and, and it's been going pretty good and, and I never did seek the Lord. I just felt it was the right thing to do. Listen, good for you, but God might have had something better for you if you had sought him. You said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way up through the history into Moses, all those guys, God had something better for them. And they found it. You know, sometimes we think that God has failed us. The things that we've thought he said to us didn't work out. There's two things that could be happening. One is, he did speak to you, and now he's testing you to see if you believe that he called you. When he calls you, he'll find a way to get there. That's the promise. He will not leave us or forsake us. He'll know how to get us there. The other reason, maybe he didn't call you to that in the first place. And you see in Lamentations 3, verse 37, it says, Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? So you can take something the Lord hasn't said, but you've got this great idea, or somebody might have said it to you, I think you should be doing this, or thus saith the Lord, do this. And you might be saying, God, you haven't answered, you haven't saw us, you haven't brought us in. And the Lord said, I never called you to do that. He said that to me one time. Things are hard in the ministry. We'd gone into a certain program and after three years, I was tired of the, of the criticism and the backbiting and the disunity. And I said, Lord, what in the world's going on here? Got a hold of the hem of his garment. Needs your attention. What's going on here? He said, I never called you to do that. That's when I repented and said, Lord, forgive me. 
Now, I'm thankful to say he helped work us out of that without hurting people, without making a big turmoil. It took us a few years to get out, but I knew his grace after that because I repented and asked him, so what he does with you if you're in the wrong area of ministry, if you're doing things, something that God hasn't called you to do, ask him to forgive you. Ask Lord, what do you want me to do now? To get out of this or to make it right or whatever? Talk to him about it. He's the manager of your personal life, of your family life, of your ministry, of your life in general, even if you're working in a factory. Let him be the manager of life. He knows more about it than you do. He's lived a lot longer than you have. He's experienced it. So the Lamentations, this is Jeremiah writing and saying, look, if the Lord hasn't said something, he's not responsible to make it happen. I don't care how much you speak it out and, and confess it and shout it out. I don't, if he hasn't said it, he's not responsible. That makes me push even farther to know the will of God. I need to know. I can't just take the Bible and say, well... You know, God God said to Joseph, um, you're, someday um, all the stars, your family's going to bow down and worship you. I can't say, oh, that verse is for me. My family's going to bow down and worship them. No, he didn't say that to you. He said that to Joseph. So be careful how you interpret Scripture. Not every promise is for you as an individual. Some of those were specific people back there. Other promises are for a nation, not just you individually, but for a nation. If a nation will turn to me, the Lord says, I will bless it. If it rejects me, I will destroy it. That's a nation. I don't have to live in destruction, even in that nation, because God will look after me. I didn't say I won't be poor. I didn't say I might not have any need for anything. I didn't say he will look after me. He will find a way of escape for me, says in Luke. So how do we maintain the Sabbath rest? In Second Chronicles 14, verse 6, there was a king in Judah at that time named King Asa. It says he obeyed God. They said God gave him rest. I love that so much. Now, he was king. He had a lot of duties, a lot of responsibilities. He was dealing with, with the, the garbage from the king before him, the, the worshiper of idols. He was dealing with all that, you see. But he was in the center of God's will, and he was restful. Then there's First Chronicles 22, verse 9. This is King Solomon. I know his life didn't end up right because he forsook the Lord, let his so many wives lead him astray. But... In the early years of his ministry, for the first number of years, it says he was a man of rest. Why? Because he was not a man of war. You see, there's something about whether it's in the family, relationships and marriage, relationships and ministries. If there's constant con um, jealousy and backbiting and things spoken behind your back and other people's speaking about other people, tearing them down. That's war. There's no rest. But when there's unity, 
First of all, starting with me, I refuse to argue. I refuse to condemn. I might have to correct as a leader, but I'm not going to speak behind people's back. I'm going to respect them and honor them, take them aside and speak to them honestly if I have to be. I'm going to show them as love, much love as I can, and if they still won't respond, I can turn it over to the Lord, and the Lord says, you'll be at rest because you're not at war. Proverbs 1, verse 33. Whoever listens to me will live in security and be at ease without fear of harm. Now, Paul makes that very clear. Nothing can separate us from love. They might beat our bodies. They might kill us. They might, they might throw us in prison. They might starve us. They might do everything they can to make us turn against the gospel, against Jesus Christ. But you say, if we maintain our stand and stand firm as thousands of people around the world right now that are under persecution, God says you'll be at ease. You can relax in the fact that I'm in charge. Just as Jesus went through persecution, Paul went through it. Many people in the book of Acts were going through it. People today are going through it. But their trust in the Lord saying, Lord, because you're in charge of my life, what I'm going through right now is according to your will. Therefore, I choose to be content, as Paul said, wherever I am. And part of that was in prison, being beaten, stoned, being treated just like many Christians are being treated today. Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. That's the Sabbath rest. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that picture, you see. A baby that's still nursing. If the mother picks it up, that baby roots around looking for a hole in the blouse, just not still. It, it knows where the f warm milk is coming from. But you see, after a child is weaned and it's, it knows it's the bottle with the nipple or, the, or something else that's going to feed him, then when the mother picks it up, it can relax. And the psalmist here says, that weaned child is like what I am before the Lord because I can, I'm resting, I'm trusting him. Everything about my life he has control of because I've given him that control. And so this, this weaned child picture is what I long in my life I want you to long for it. As a matter of fact, you could take Psalm 131 and say, Lord, I want this psalm to be a testimony of my life. Ask the Lord to help you to get there, help to take the steps to, to start ceasing from all the stuff that gives you turmoil, like mud being stirred up by the waves of the ocean. Ask him. He's the one that wants you there probably more than you do. So he wants to help get you there. But it takes a willing heart, a heart of yieldedness, a heart of humility that says, I can't do it myself. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 28, 
verse 16, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. We know that's Jesus, the cornerstone. A tested stone. In other words, Jesus went through what we go through. Later in the book of Hebrews, it says that he, he, he went through everything that we do, tested the same way we are. He's a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. You see, as I wait on the Lord and I allow Jesus to become the cornerstone of my life, that's where the building in those days, that's where it started from. Today, in our country, we start from a foundation, pardon me, a footing that's laid before, low the frost line, it's a footing, and then the foundation is built on that foundation. So in a sense, the cornerstone is quite it with the, the um, footings of our buildings today. If that footing is accurate and right, the building will go upright. Many of us do not have Jesus as the foundation. He's forgiven us our sins. We go to church Sunday, but we do our own thing. And you see, he's waiting for us to put him at the, into the, our life as a cornerstone, as that footing, so that the building that he's building, which is us individually but corporately as well, the building he's building will be built right. I got tired of, in my life, of things going wrong. I got tired of finding out that I thought I was doing the right thing only to see no fruit from it. I got tired of having to say, what in the world's wrong? And then having the Lord show me he never told me to do that. And you see, when I say, Jesus, I want, I want to confer with you. I want to talk with you. I need to hear from you. I want to know what you're calling me to do. And in that calling, he says, now you can rest because I've told you to do this. Therefore, I'll work out the details. And if you do warfare, I'll defeat the enemy. And I'll tear down every obstacle because I have asked you to do this. And I have in my mind the end result beyond the cross, beyond the, any suffering or inconvenience. I have something there. And Jesus, in spite of the troubles he was faced with, looked beyond the cross and saw the joy that was out there. Let Jesus become your cornerstone. Let Jesus become the footing of this house he's building. In Psalm 25, this is a psalm you should read. I, I won't take the time to read the whole thing, but in Psalm 25, David was explaining the blessings in that psalm of putting our hope in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. And you see, the Bible often interchanges three words, faith, hope, trust. And then there's a fourth one that pops in, waiting. Wait on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. We'll read that to you in a minute. So those three words that faith comes from, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, it says in, in Hebrews 12. Out of that hope and that waiting and that trusting comes our faith. 
to fight through the things that would try to stop us. Psalm 62, 5, we're to wait in patience, he says in Psalm 62, 5. Wait in patience. There's a story that I heard not too long ago. This is back many years ago, and it's just an illustration about a, um, a telegraph delivery boy. Remember in the early years, um, a telegraph would come in. There was no telephones back then, and certainly no cell phones or anything. And the telegraph boys were to be available to the telegraph station. And when a telegraph come in, he was then, it was printed out and it was given to him to deliver to the person that it was meant. Now, the average telegraph boy, if he had common sense, he would sit in that office and he would wait for the telegraph master to give him the next direction. But see, many of us as Christians, we would be like a telegraph boy that can't, he's not still, he's always, and, and so he jumps up every few minutes, and, are you sure there's no telegraph, is there nothing for me to deliver? No, go sit down. Okay, so in a few minutes, are you sure there's nothing? Is, see, that's the way many Christians are. We think we need to force into ministry, we need to, to do something to look spiritual because we heard a sermon that said you're nothing if you don't have a ministry type sermon, even though the words may not have been spelled that way. Some imply that. I've heard them. See, we need to wait on the Lord as a telegraph boy that's relaxed and able to sit in that office on a chair and just wait for the next telegraph to come through. Psalm 37, verses 7 to 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. Oh, wow. That family really gone ahead. We're not. What's wrong with us? They have a ministry of music. We have nothing. What's wrong with Listen, relax. Don't fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Now, in this whole issue of waiting, if we start comparing ourselves, our family, the ministry, or what I do at my job, all those things, if I start comparing myself, do I have a better house or a worse house than they do? Do I drive an older? Stop comparing yourself. Lord, I want to drive the car that you have for me. I want to live in the house that you want me to live in. I want to work at the place you want me to work at. I don't care about my neighbors. I don't care about the other Christians in the church I go to. I care about being obedient to you, Lord God. Oh, yes, I care about them. If they're sick, I'll pray for them. They eat food. I'll give them. But I'm not going to judge myself and gauge myself by what is happening in their lives. You see, the Psalm here, 37, says, if you can relax in who you are in Christ, if you can wait for him to give you the words you need, then that's where you'll inherit the land. That simply means you'll get the best of what God has for you. I always think of, of the Jacob and his, his, um, 
11 sons. They're still in Canaan and famine is on. Their brother, the brothers were sent down to Egypt and Joseph eventually made himself known to them. And he said, go get your dad, get your, your families, get and come down here. He even said, you don't have to worry about all your stuff. Leave your stuff because when you get here, you'll get the best of the land. And that's what Paul, that David's talking about here. We'll, we'll get the best that God has for us because we know his perfect will. Isaiah 64, verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Can I read that again? No one has ever seen anyone. We've never heard of anyone. We've never seen anyone. Nothing. No one who is blessed as much as those who wait for the Lord. I paraphrased it for you. What an awesome, what an awesome thing to look forward to. And you might say, well, how do I get there? Don't give up. Start working on it. Start with repentance. Say, my past, I haven't. Really forgive me, Lord. I've hurt you. And start seeking the Word of God. Be a Bible reader. So many of the people we've listened to in counseling over the years, the basic problem, they had no idea what the Word of God said, even though they've been in church for most of their lives. No idea. Listen, if, you, if I was a medical doctor and you came to me and you're all run down, you're diseased, you're, you're weak, you're, you can hardly walk, I'd say, well, tell me what you eat for a meal. Oh, I don't have time to eat meals. The Word of God is our food. Get into the Word of God. You say, I don't, just don't have time. Yeah, well, you have time to watch television, you have time to watch sports, you have time to read stuff that isn't profitable. You have time for the Word of God. This is what God wants to do for us. Listen. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who hope, or I could say wait, or I could say rest in the Lord, will renew their strength. It didn't say might. It says will. We renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, Please don't try that physically. They will store like wind. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The Lord wants to fill us with the energy that comes from being in his perfect will. Those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And I'd like to talk about the fact that the Sabbath rest is the answer that we have for worry and anxiety. Let's look at Hebrews 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. So Paul is saying to the Hebrew people at that time, just as, the, as your ancestors in the wilderness, 
They heard what God was saying. They had directions from the Lord, what they were to do and what he would do for them. And yet they, they didn't combine it with faith. Now, before we're finished, I will be showing you how we take what God has said turn it into faith so that it becomes a powerful force for us. And so he's warning the Hebrew people here in this book of Hebrews, don't fall short of God's promise. He was talking to a Hebrew people uh, that were under persecution because they had become Christians. And it was, it was happening that these Christians, some of them were going back into Judaism because of the persecution. And the book of Hebrews is really focused on, if you want to simplify it, if I can, it's focused on one basic thing, that is, Jesus is better than everything that you ever had before. Even Jesus said that. He's, he said, what you have here is better than Solomon, better than the queen of, of Egypt or uh, Ethiopia. It's better. The law, what I have is better. So Hebrews is recapping a lot of that, and they're saying he's better than the angels. He's better than the temple. What you have is better than all this stuff. So hang on. The Lord will get you through it. And if you choose to believe that and work with the Lord in this, he will bring you through. Some of you might be in prison. Some might be put to death, but you'll get through it. Now, you might say, Howard, if they go to death, they're in heaven. Wow. All the pain is finished. All the persecution is done. They're winners to be in heaven, escaping the corruption, the pain of this world. So, so the, Paul says, be careful you don't fall short of it. Don't sell out for the sake of peace now because the Jewish religion was okay. It was supported by the Roman Empire. But Christianity was outlawed until the year 312. So this is before the year 312. And Paul is saying, or the writer, pardon me, Hebrews is saying, don't give up. Don't give up on it. And when you've heard the message that God will get you through, that's your faith. Start to exercise it. We'll show you that. Now you see in Luke chapter 10, near the end of that chapter, Jesus shows up one day with his 12 disciples, 13 grown-up men hungry, show up unannounced, at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. That's, I think there's one word to describe that, panic. And so, Mary was so in love with Jesus, she sat down at his feet and was listening to him as he taught. Martha was in the kitchen, fussing over getting the meal ready. She finally couldn't stand it anymore, wiped the sweat off her brow, came out and said, Jesus, tell Mary to come and help me. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, listen to 
You are troubled and worried about many things. But Mary has found the only thing that really matters. The word only is in there. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, waiting, building up hope, whatever it might have been. She's sitting there, you see. Now, you see, I'm not saying you should never cook a meal, but just sit around reading the Word of God. But you see, there's an anxiety there to meet people's needs that surplanted something more important, and that is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The thing is, we have the privilege of sitting at his feet every day of our lives. And he said to us today, as he said to Martha back then, that's the only thing that really matters. Now, he didn't say to Mary that you have troubles and anxieties, too. He just said to Martha, you're the one that's troubled and anxious for everything. And you're displaying it, you're working it out. Ladies will understand her reputation was at stake, and she had to do something about it. Matthew 13, 22, it talks here about the seed the farmer sowed. And there's different places the seed fell. I'm just going to focus on one, the seed that fell among the thorns. And you see, the seed is the Word of God, and, and a, a person hears that Word, and they accept it. But the seed that fell among thorns represents people that, that succumb to the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. All those things choke the Word of God, make it unfruitful. I'm wondering how many people that I have led to the Lord, and it wasn't possible to disciple them because maybe they're at a distance and they came through for a seminar and then they're gone again. How many have not made it because they let the world come back in and encompass them with worry and anxiety, and they've lost their footing? Now, we have a responsibility to allow God to carry our troubles. And you see, there's, there's something about anxiousness and worrying that makes us jump up to solve the problem ourselves. The first step, I believe, is a step of submission. And there's many areas. We need to be submitted to the Lord. We need to be submitted on the authority God has put us under, whether it be a government, federally, provincially, state-wise, or whatever. We need to be submitted in the church, under pastors, under the board, under the leadership. Um, and the Bible tells about the, the order in the home. He said if there's order in the home, there will be peace in that home. You see... The local hospital here in my city, we actually have two. If there's disunity in the leadership, if there's jealousy in the leadership, or somebody trying to surplant somebody else and get their job and put them down so they'll be promoted to their job, it creates unrest all the way down in the different levels of employees. 
because of the unrest up here. That's why we need to recognize we're responsible for the leadership. We're responsible for peace in our home. There will be no rest until we come into the divine order of God's government. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It's God's word that is firm, and it's God's word that proves be the one that brings peace. It says in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, if we're not obedient, we have a disadvantage in life. You know what the word obey means? I'm glad you do. Because out of that obedience comes a rest. We're at peace. We thank you, Lord, that that's available to us. You know, in Matthew 8, 24, Jesus and his disciples were out in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is up front somewhere underneath, probably um, sleeping on a big pillow. And a storm comes up, and it starts to blow and toss the sea around. The disciples are getting quite frightened. Jesus is asleep. They're anxious. They're frightened. We're going to drown. Who has the problem? You see, they understood Jesus had authority. The centurion that came sent his servant to Jesus. Say, this centurion, he has a servant at home that's very faithful but very sick, and he's going to die. He sent me to ask you to come to pray for him. And on the way, Jesus encountered the centurion who was coming to meet him and said, you don't have to come into my house because he knew the Jews had a, a thing about going into Gentile homes. didn't bother Jesus any, but he assumed it would. He said, all you have to do is say the word. You see, he understood authority and the power of authority. He understood what it could be because he said, all I have to do is say a word and the servants under me will do exactly what I command. The soldiers under me will do what I command. He said to Jesus, all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, wow, I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. Why? Because he ran into a man that understood the power of being in authority, under authority and being in authority. So let's look at the main thing that we have to do in order to deal with our heart attitude. I believe this is the main thing. It has to do with pride. Pride is what convinces us we don't have to listen to the Lord. We have brains. We'll do it ourselves. Pride is the thing that doesn't want to humble ourselves because it might make us look weak before other people. I, I can't humble myself before my wife because she won't think I'm a man. Or if I humble myself, maybe the boys that, that are tough out there might start beating up on me. So I have to look strong. And the Lord says, no, no, that's pride. And you see, it's pride that says, I don't need to hear from God. I know what God wants. I've got the mentality to understand. And God says, don't think so. Humility is admitting 
God, I need God. <laughs> I like the psalmist in one of his psalms. He's calling out for the Lord to lead him and guide him and have mercy on him. He reminded God. I want to remind you, Lord, you made me out of dirt. What do you expect? I need you. You know, for many years in our lives, in our ministry, we tried to convince people that they, they were valuable, they had work, they, they could get up and they could change the world. Come on, get your self-integrity up, get your self-image revved up, do all the things we could. And yet God turns around one time, he actually spoke to his people and said, you know, you're just worms. Without me, you're a worm. I like the story of a couple of donkeys going into Jerusalem one day and 2,000 years ago, and the one donkey says, you know, I come in here yesterday carrying this guy in my back. He wanted to ride in, and oh, the people are excited about me. They threw palm branches down. They threw their garments down. They're cheering and hollering, and oh, I was famous yesterday, and here today I'm walking in. Nobody's paying any attention to me. What's the matter? And the other donkey says, that's what you are without Jesus. I said, that's what we need to see ourselves. Without Jesus, we're nothing. With Jesus, we can be everything. And so we need to get a hold of the fact. We need to humble ourselves. So let's look at 1 Peter 5, starting halfway through verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Understand? It's like a garment, not physically, but certainly a, uh, we, it's, it's part of us. It, we, it, we're in it. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. In other words, stop acting pridefully. Stop trying to um, promote yourself or make people think you're really important or spiritual. Start because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I, I am so taken up with that phrase that said, if I'm walking in pride, God's opposed to me. I'm just telling you what it says. As a matter of fact, First Peter, Peter says it. James says it. They both take it from the Old Testament. It's a quote back there. God is opposed to the proud. I would suggest to you if things aren't going so good, maybe the first step is repentance. The next step immediately is humbling yourself, admitting to God, admitting to others around you that, hey, I've been putting on an act. I've been a Pharisee. I've been a hypocrite and I need to humble myself because I need to get close to God and I can't in my pride. He's opposed to me in my pride. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It may not happen immediately, but there's God. He takes you under your feet and starts to lift you up. It's in his timing, not when you think so. And it says, we humble ourselves. And then it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's interesting. For years, I've said to people, cast your anxiety on the Lord. I forgot to tell them we have to humble ourselves first. 
If we don't humble ourselves first, our anxiety won't be looked after because he won't lift us up in our pride. He lifts us up in our humility. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It says resist, resist him. You said, you might say to me right now, Howard, you told me I could rest. Now you're telling me I have to resist. Yes, you have to resist the enemy. But the peace that comes from defeating him is worth the battle. And the more you defeat him, the longer stretches in between before he's allowed to test you again. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing, undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Don't forget, Peter here was talking to a persecuted church. As a matter of fact, all of 1 Peter almost, especially chapters 2, 3, and 4, all about how to handle persecution. Then it says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now all this is to bring us into a place of repentance, of humbling ourselves, acknowledging God has to be in charge in spite of persecutions, in spite of trials. The, the, the the, the picture beyond the trial, which the Lord says can be short if we deal with it right, is peace and rest. And that's what we want. Jesus looked beyond the cross, his, his persecution, his death. He looked beyond that for the joy that was out there. In order to do this, we have to deal with every thought and every feeling that does not agree with God's promise as far as. I've been telling you his promise is that the Sabbath rest is still for us. It's still available back in Hebrews 4.1. I read it to you a few minutes ago. It's still for us. And so he says now, any th thought, any that produces feelings or any feeling that comes in that contradicts God's promise of rest. We need to be willing to deal with it. And 2 Corinthians 10.5, this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension I like the old King James said, every imagination and speculation that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Stop there for a minute. You see, the knowledge of God is that he wants to protect us if we're totally yielded to him. If we wait for him, if we ask him, what's next, Lord? What do you want me to do? I'm here, Lord. Talk to me. I'm patiently waiting until the next telegraph comes in. As we wait for that, the Lord says that we start to demolish all the stuff that's coming in, all the stuff the enemy tempts us with, 
I know what they are. Oh, this should be done. That should be done. The grass needs to be cut. You don't have time to wait on the Lord. All this stuff outside has to be done. Or you have to, you have to send out that email. Or you have to answer that person. Or really answer the calls that are on your phone. I'm, I'm trying hard, Lord, to get to the place where I say to those thoughts, you sit and be quiet while I do the thing that's only important in the eyes of God, and that's sitting at the feet like Mary did with Jesus. And you see, as I learn that, anxiety and worry starts to crumble and fall away because the Sabbath rest starts to come into my life. And you see, trouble, I'll tell you about trouble if you don't know, trouble says, Howard, you've got to solve the problem. Humility says, I have a daddy, I have a father, I have a savior who will solve that problem. I may, do, I may need to do some spiritual warfare, I may need to do some fasting to get through it, but on the other side of that trouble is a deeper relationship with the Lord, a deeper joy, a deeper happiness, and a rest that I'm looking forward to. He said, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I'm going to tell you how I do that. Maybe you have a different way. But when thoughts come in that contradict what God has said, I need to take what he has said and speak it out loud because it's the mouth. When I speak, that's the sword of the word of the Lord coming out, and it also is a shield. The shield will eventually stop the thoughts because I'm speaking out the Word of God. But you might have to do it for a while. After doing it for many years, the moment I speak the Word, the thoughts will stop. Why? Because I've done it. I've practiced. I'm not boasting. I'm telling you, I'm simply doing what the Lord told me to do. And now I'm telling you to do it because I know the Lord said it will work. And I'm a testimony that it does. Back a number of months ago, a number of years ago actually now, three or four years ago, because of a, a physical problem, I was being hammered in the middle of the night. You need to die. You need to go home. You're miserable. You're going to be sick for the rest of your life. You'll be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Your wife will end up pushing around. And it, bought, it was coming at me, and I was weak physically from my surgery, and it was hammered on me. And suddenly the Holy Spirit, because I knew this principle, I started to say with out loud just enough for me to hear it. I come to the garden alone and I sang the chorus. It was still dark, it was still heavy in that room. And when I got to the chorus, he walks with me and he talks with me. Now listen, when I said, and he tells me, I am his own, as if somebody turned on the lights, as if the blackness just disappeared 
Why? Because the word coming out of my mouth was a sword. It stopped the thoughts. I went sound asleep for the rest of the night, and I never had that trouble again to this day. But the word coming out was a sword that pushed the enemy back, and the, that was offensive. The shield is defensive. Both of them have to do with the word of God coming out of my mouth. Read Ephesians 6. It's all in there. Our problem is God doesn't always fix things as quickly as we'd like him to. And too often we give up, and I just say, don't give up. Don't let worry and anxiety take away the peace that God wants to give you. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we live by faith, not by sight. You see, the flesh wants to take the, con the concerns that come into our life, concerns for situations, concerns for people. He wants us to take those concerns and turn them into worry and anxiety and fretting and fuming. That's his intention. Take the things that God's allowing, but his job is to make them into worry and anxiety. However, the Holy Spirit is allowing those concerns to come into my life because he wants me to turn them into warfare and defeat them and defeat my thoughts and my feelings in prayer. So are we going to obey the enemy or are we going to obey the Holy Spirit? Philippians 4 verse 6 says, oh, nuts. It says, be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he's saying, all this stuff coming at us, take them to the Lord. Humble yourself, saying, I can't deal with them. God is my dealer. God is my manager. Take it to him. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You might say right now, Howard, I don't understand what you're talking about half the time with this. Listen, I'm telling you, you won't understand it because what God is doing is beyond our understanding with thanksgiving and praise. And we need to guard our minds in Christ Jesus so we fight back and don't let them do it again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to give you one final scripture. I'm going to give you two, actually. One is homework. Luke 12, verses 22 to 34 have to do with scripture. Jesus said, do not worry. There's a whole bunch in there. Read it sometime and ask the Lord to apply it to your body. And I want to leave this with you. Numbers chapter 14, 28, when it comes to speaking out, this is what God said to Moses. You go and tell the children of Israel, as surely as I live, he swears by himself, declares the Lord, I'll do to you the very things I heard you say. You understand, when you speak those things out, he'll do for you those things that he heard you say. Because up in 2 Corinthians says, I believe, therefore I spoke. There's our warfare. Get on this stuff. Any worry, anxiety, humble yourself and say, Lord, it's my pride that's carrying it. I humble myself before you and I enter into your rest. In the name of Jesus, Father, 
You're a great and awesome God. And Lord, you can carry us through these times of life. You can carry us, Lord God, into those times when we're anxious. But Lord, your victory will be in your word when we speak it out and begin to defeat the enemy that's coming against us to steal that rest. In the name of Jesus, help everyone listening, Lord, be able to do what you said. In the name of Jesus, amen.